At the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he, he promises his disciples that he would send them a helper. John records this promise from Jesus in his gospel in chapters 14 and 16. Here's what Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Even though I'm going to leave, we're going to send another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells in you and he will be in you. And Jesus continues to teach his disciples about the work of the Holy Spirit. He tells them this promised helper would teach them all things and remind them of everything that Jesus taught them. Later in 16, Jesus also says the Spirit will convict of sin and and guide followers of Jesus into all truth. He will guide all of those who are called by God to God in Christ. And this morning we are hearing Paul build upon the teaching of Jesus, this formative teaching from Jesus about the Holy Spirit. Because Paul wants to remind the church in Corinth of the work of the Spirit to help them remember where true wisdom is found and who it is that can actually lead you in to the wisdom that comes from God. As we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, and we'll dive into a little bit more depth uh, next week, The church in Corinth was divided over its teachers. They were dividing over who they thought could lead them into the the greater mysteries of God, to deeper wisdom, to have a a spiritual advantage over everyone who was around them. I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, because they are the ones that can actually help me get more of God. They have a depth of access to God that no one else has, and I want what they have. But Paul and this formative doctrinal text in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells the church that the true teacher they need, the true teacher they should be longing for, the true bearer of godly wisdom who will lead us all into greater depth of knowledge and to the glories of God is the Holy Spirit. And whatever benefit you receive from human beings that teach you, whatever benefit you receive from their ministry around the Word of God, ultimately, that is a fruit of the Spirit, not them. The Spirit is the one who illuminates the deep truths of God. The Spirit is the one who helps us know and grasp the gospel. You know, I'm excited about the opportunity that this text provides for us this morning. The Spirit himself desires to turn all the attention onto the Son, Jesus Christ. And often we don't spend a lot of time talking about him because of that. And yet we also know it is good for us. There is a, a benefit for us as the people of God to consider the work of this third person of the Trinity. To help give glory to God and celebrate the work that the, the Spirit has been sent to do in our lives. Here's our main text, or our main idea from, from the text and Paul's teaching today to the Corinthian church. The Spirit is our great teacher who gives Christians the mind of Christ and reveals to us the wisdom of God revealed in Christ. Our great teacher is the Holy Spirit of God. And here's what he does for us as followers of Jesus. He gives us the mind of Christ and then leads us 
into the wisdom of God revealed in Christ. So church in Corinth, Bayleaf, Baptist Church, Paul's saying, don't get distracted by human wisdom. Don't get distracted by human vessels. Rather, ask God to help you understand his revealed wisdom, the depths of his wonderful gospel through the work of the Spirit. So let's hear now how Paul encourages us to think about the work of the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 2. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But that as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit and interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. If you were to, to read this text over and over again, I would encourage you to do that. In fact, there's probably no better way to, to let a text sit within your heart and spirit and let the Lord do ministry through it than to read it over and over and over again. And if you were to do that with this passage, two words would jump out at you over and over again. Wisdom and spirit. And the repetition of those words gives us an idea about the subject that Paul wants to address. He wants to address the Corinthians' desire for wisdom, but attach that wisdom to the ongoing work of God. And in particular, the necessary work of the Spirit of God. Essentially, Paul is answering two questions for the church in Corinth. What makes the wisdom of God different than the wisdom of this age? And then secondly, why do we need the Holy Spirit to be able to understand that wisdom from God? So how is God's wisdom different? And why do we need the Holy Spirit to be able to access it, understand it? Let's use these questions to help us unpack the full teaching of Paul here in this text. Here's the first question. What makes the wisdom of God different than the wisdom of man? Paul says unequivocally in chapter 2, verse 6, that there is a difference between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. And he calls the Corinthian church to pursue God's wisdom. A call that's echoed across the pages of Scripture. The, the Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verse 5, that pursuing wisdom is a good thing. Because there's blessing attached to true wisdom. We see that in Proverbs chapter 3. But the Bible also tells us 
that true wisdom, the kind of wisdom that leads to this blessing, only comes from God, Proverbs 2. It's the kind of wisdom that comes from above, James chapter 3. Now, this may seem like a little bit of a flip-flop for Paul, because up until this point in our look at 1 Corinthians, he spent a a great deal of of time decrying or challenging the Corinthians' pursuit of wisdom. But what is really happening is that he's challenging their pursuit of vain wisdom. He's not trying to say you shouldn't pursue wisdom at all. He's just trying to help them pursue the right kind of wisdom. He wants them to see the folly of the wisdom of this age when compared to the glories of the wisdom of God. Because whatever is counted wise in this age, at this moment in time, has a shelf life. The wisdom of this age may seem appropriate or profound within the confines of this moment in time, this blip on the radar and the scope of eternity, but it will pass away. It will will go away. It will come to an end at the return of Christ. The wisdom of this age may say that it's, it's better to give than to receive. The wisdom of this age may say, to thine own self be true. The wisdom of this age may say that morality doesn't really matter, that it's a a social construct meant to oppress and and hold back my good and natural desires, that there's, there's no universal truth that should redefine my personal truth. The wisdom of this age may argue that all human relationships are a balance of power dynamics dependent upon a flawed power structure that needs to be abandoned for the sake of true equity. And if we would finally throw off these societal constructs, we could all be truly happy as individuals. But these so-called declarations of wisdom are short-sighted. Even if, even if they were rooted in a century of observation. They cannot account for eternity. They cannot account for the brokenness and sinfulness of this age that affects the way that we view one another and God's creation. A wisdom that may give account to some understanding in this moment in time, in this part of the world, within this particular culture, it may not be universally true or beneficial. And is that true wisdom? No. The wisdom of this age is constantly changing, constantly adapting, constantly trying to understand it. It will pass away. More importantly, friends, it does not lead to true joy or contentment in the Lord. It does not lead to greater access to God. Rather the opposite. See, the wisdom of this age leads to actually a rejection of God. It leads to rejection of Jesus and even The crucifixion of Jesus, verse 8, even though he is the perfect revelation of God. But the wisdom of God is different. It's true. It's eternal. It's ageless. Paul says it's a wisdom that's that's been decreed before the, the different ages of mankind even existed for the glory of God and for our glory, verse 7. It's the kind of wisdom that actually leads to human flourishing within the design of God because God helps us understand the work of Christ and what it looks like to live under his rule and reign. And this wisdom of God is intentionally surprising. It's meant to confound the wisdom of this age. The wisdom of God is the kind of wisdom that chooses the second son rather than the first. 
It's the kind of wisdom that chooses the people of Israel out of all the nations of the earth. It's the kind of wisdom that chooses David, a shepherd boy, to be king over that people. It's the kind of wisdom that declares the poor in spirit are the ones who are truly blessed. It's the kind of wisdom that declares those who mourn are the ones who will actually be comforted. It's the kind of wisdom that says the the meek, not the powerful, will inherit the earth and that those who truly hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. It's the one that says the merciful will receive mercy. The pure in heart will see God. It's the kind of wisdom Wisdom that says the peacemakers will be called sons of God, that those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake will, try, will find true blessing in the kingdom of God. Friends, it's the kind of wisdom that would lead Jesus to a cross. Amen. It's the kind of wisdom that forms the foundation of the central message of the church Christ crucified. The wisdom of God is meant to challenge the wisdom of man, the wisdom of this age, because it is rooted and for his glory. One kind of wisdom is trying to grasp a hold of a reality that is passing away, while one is rooted and expressed out of eternity in the being of God himself. And that's the wisdom that Paul says we must pursue according to Scripture because it's not only different, it is better. But question two, why do we need the Holy Spirit to under, understand this wisdom? Why do we need the help of the, un, the Holy Spirit to access the wisdom of God? Now, there are two particular problems that need to be addressed according to Paul to help us access the wisdom of God revealed in Christ. And both problems are answered through the work of the Spirit. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into a little bit of doctrinal depth for a moment, okay? Everybody got your theology boots on? Okay? Y'all ready to to wade in a little bit this morning? It's going to be really good. Just get ready. Let's, Let's worship the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, and strength this morning. Amen? Okay, here are the two problems that we need addressed that the Holy Spirit addresses. Firstly, the wisdom that we need is of God. Okay, hold on to that. The wisdom that we need is of God. And secondly, we are men and women of this broken age. Both those two things are problems that the Spirit of God helps us with. So firstly, let's deal with the fact that the wisdom we need is of God. Why is this a problem? Well, God is wholly other, right? Isn't he like radically different? He's a being that is infinitely greater than we are. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. As the prophet Isaiah says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's wisdom is so beyond us that without his help, it would remain, according to Paul, verse 7, secret or hidden. So how is it that we can know the mind of God? How can we have access to the mind of God? Paul says, he must tell us. He must willingly reveal his wisdom to us. It's like that game you play when you're married called What Are You Thinking? You ever played that game before? You know, where your wife is thinking something And you know that she's thinking something that you don't know what she's thinking, but you want to know what she's thinking because you believe there's a benefit in you you knowing what she's thinking. And so you ask her, but she believes that you should know it. No matter how hard you try, you can't figure out what she's thinking. 
And then in some act of grace, an act of mercy, she finally reveals to you what she's been thinking that you should have already been thinking the whole time. No matter how hard you try, you can't get in the mind of your wife until the moment where she graciously, mercifully reveals to you what you need to know. Now, if we have a problem knowing the minds of one another, how much more of an issue it is, is it for us to know the mind of God? God must tell us what he's thinking. We, we need to know what God is thinking, and he, in his mercy and grace, reveals it to us through the work of the Spirit. Look at verses 9 through 11. As it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the Spirit's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? I could be thinking something right now, and I know what I'm thinking, but you don't know what I'm thinking until I tell you what I'm thinking. That's what he's saying right here. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God, who is from God, that we might understand the, three, the things freely given by God. The Spirit is the one who has access to the mind of God. Yes, he's a distinct person as part of the Trinity, one God. God's wisdom and his will are beyond us unless the Spirit helps us, unless he speaks to us and allows that wisdom and will of God that are inaccessible to us to be translated, incarnated even, in such a way that we can understand enough to be drawn to him in repentance and belief and saved by his work of redemption. And that's exactly what God has done. That's exactly what God has done. He has revealed what we could not know apart from his work of revelation. Quoting from, in verse 9, from Isaiah 64 and some other Old Testament passages put together, Paul writes, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of, of man imagine, what God has prepared for those who love him. And, and friends, can we just consider for a moment what God has prepared for us that we would not know apart from the work of Christ, apart from the work of the Spirit leading us to Christ. We're directed to Jesus crucified who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped because he was in the form of God. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself even to the point of death and death on a cross no less. Because of that act of humility, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. God has revealed to us mercifully his wisdom in Christ. He has spoken it in Jesus. And now he has declared it to us, the witness of this work of Christ through the Spirit who points us to Jesus through the ongoing witness of Scripture so that we can behold the wisdom of God that has been revealed. Okay, now we have another problem. Not only that the wisdom is of God, but that we are a people of this age. We're a broken and fallen people, and we have broken and fallen minds. You see, with Without God's help, we could not know the wisdom of God. 
But we also could not understand it. We also could not receive it without the help of the Spirit. Paul says the rulers of this age have lived with a natural mind. And that natural mind led them to crucify Christ. But then look at verses 12 to 16. Again, we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things that are freely given. So God freely gave them, but that we can also understand them. And we impart this in words, again, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept these things, the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, we, have the mind of Christ. The natural person does not accept the wisdom of God, but rather rejects these things. But the spiritual person can receive these things because of the Spirit of God that is at work within us. Here's how great our God is. Yes, He has revealed willingly His wisdom in a way that we can understand, but more than that, more than that, He has given us the mind of Christ to be able to receive that wisdom in a way that leads us to salvation. What a wonderful thing to think about. Think about this, okay. The moment you were saved, the moment you heard the gospel declared over you, the moment that you heard how God had loved you in Jesus and the Holy Spirit awakened you to that reality of how God had loved you and you, you confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The moment of your salvation, at that moment, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence within you. And do you know what he's doing? He's making you new. He's giving you a renewed mind so that you have the, the mind of Christ so that you can receive, not only just hear, but receive the wisdom of God as declared in Christ. Isn't that incredible? The work of the Holy Spirit of God, what grace and mercy, the mature, as Paul calls us in the beginning of our passage, verse six, the mature made so by the Spirit can receive Receive the wisdom of God set forth in the gospel. And here's what's more, Paul says. What's more is that this wisdom that has been imparted to us, we now can impart to one another. Verse 13, spiritual truths that have been imparted to us, we can impart to spiritual people in the power of the Spirit using the language that God has given us. Church, we need the wisdom of God. We must pursue the wisdom of God and we need the spirit of God to help us understand and receive this wisdom. And by God's grace, we have this wisdom fully revealed in Jesus and we have the spirit to help us receive that wisdom which God has prepared before this age even began for his glory and our own. What a marvelous thing for us to consider and lead us to worship of the one true God. Now, let's get practical. We've been, we've been walking through some, some deep theological waters for a little bit. So let's consider now the implications 
of what Paul has, has taught us here in our pursuit of Christ. How should we respond? Let me first say a word to those who do not, do not yet know Jesus, either in the room or joining us online. You would say, I, I don't know that I believe in Christ, or I've, I've never repented and believed in Jesus unto salvation. So here's our, our hope for you today. Would you receive the wisdom of God revealed in Christ? Would you ask the Spirit of God to help you see the glory of Christ crucified? It's not foolishness. It's glorious wisdom. It's a a marvelous act of sacrificial love that God has taken to pursue us and draw us back to himself. There is no other way. There's no other way for our sin to be accounted for. There's no other way for our rebellion to be overcome but the work of Christ. And God willingly did that for us. And so this morning, would you repent and believe? Would today be the day of your salvation? When you turn from the foolish wisdom of this age to the glorious riches of Christ. Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers down here in the front. We'd love to encourage you and pray with you if you feel the Holy Spirit leading you in that way this morning. But for those of us who are in Christ now, let me offer us just three responses to consider from Paul's incredible writing here. Firstly, choose to pursue the wisdom of God. Choose to pursue the wisdom of God. You know, the Bible often talks, and we talk about it a lot in here, that there are only two kinds of people in this world, wise and foolish. That's it. You're either wise or you're foolish. It has everything to do with the, the type of wisdom you are pursuing, everything to do with your response to Jesus. These categories are presented here once again. And Paul is saying, as the people of God, you must pursue, you must choose to pursue the wisdom that comes from God and reject as foolishness the wisdom of this age. Now, let me just be clear here. We're not advocating for an anti-intellectualism, right? Some of you in this room who are, in, who are still a student are thinking, man, does that mean I don't have to study math anymore or science? No, no, that's not what we're saying, even though I know that some of you would, would love to be free to that burden this morning. That's not what we're saying. We're talking about abandoning a mindset that it gives no accounting for God. Listen, some of the best scientists in the history of the world were driven by their faith because they wanted to bring glory to God by unveiling the glories of his creation. There's a way to use your mind to bring glory to God. That's not what Paul is asking us to reject here. He's asking us to reject a view of the world that gives no consideration to God whatsoever. That's a, that's a kind of wisdom, a kind of wisdom that we should reject as William Barclay writes, there's a wisdom that sees nothing beyond the physical life and says there are no other needs than physical needs. And those, do, those who hold to this wisdom think that there's nothing more important than the satisfaction of physical urges. And they can't understand the meaning of something like chastity. One who ranks the amassing of material, material things as the supreme end of life. And they can't understand what it means to be generous. Those who operate under this kind of, of false wisdom have, never have a thought beyond this world. And therefore, they cannot understand the things of God. Listen, 
given that this is Sanctity of Life Sunday, there is a, a wisdom in this world that says my individual freedom, my sexual freedom is more important than the life of an unborn child. But can we just reject that as foolishness? Can we reject these things as, as, as foolishness? Don't we know the folly of sexual immorality? Don't we know the folly of materialism, storing up your hope in earthly wealth? Don't we know the folly of atheism, which itself requires faith to believe that all of this came from nothing? Don't we see the foolishness of the conditions of the wisdom of this age? We know the, human, the limits of human freedom, human power. We know the limits of human fame. So why on earth would we spend our time as the people of God pursuing it? Rather, friends, let us embrace in the mind of Christ what God has revealed in his word, what God has revealed in Jesus, believing that true joy is found in him. Let's take up as a people the mantle of humility, sacrificial love, abounding grace and mercy to evidence for the world, the incomparable glory of the God that we serve. Let's choose the wisdom that comes from God. Let's choose to live in a way that is conscious, continually conscious of the gospel and the glory of God. I promise you, if you live in that way, you will flourish because it's in alignment with God's design for why he created everything in the first place. Secondly, can we rejoice in the work of the Spirit? The only reason we're able to pursue the wisdom of God is because of the work of the Spirit. Let us rejoice that if we have seen the cross and the gospel as wisdom and not foolishness, if we have seen the work of Christ as the wisdom of God and received it, we have been blessed by the work of the Spirit. Would you rejoice this morning in the fact that the Spirit has made known to us the wisdom of God? Would you rejoice in the fact that God allowed his wisdom to be put into words that we can understand? And would you rejoice in the fact that God inspired men to write down those words as a witness to what he has ultimately revealed in Christ so that even today, thousands of years later, we can sit gathered around this word and bring glory and honor to him and his redemptive plan to save us from our sins? Would you give thanks to the Holy Spirit that even now you have the mind of Christ and God is working in you to renew that mind even more so that we can be more shaped into the image of Jesus for God's glory. Let's rejoice in the work of the Spirit and remember our need for it. Let's ask the Spirit to continually be renewing our minds so that we can offer our bodies as a spiritual act of worship to God. And then thirdly, can we commit to impart the wisdom that we have received as an act of grace from God to others? Listen, you, you've heard us, if you've been around our church for any length of time, say that we at Bayleaf Baptist Church exist to make disciples locally and globally for the glory of God. That's our mission statement. And it's rooted in the Great Commission of Matthew 28. What has been imparted to us this is from throughout the teaching of Scripture. It's echoed here and taught explicitly here in 1 Corinthians 2. What God has imparted to us as an act of grace, we should impart to others. That's discipleship. 
what's been entrusted to you, entrusted to other faithful men also, other faithful women also, so they then can raise up others, so that the gospel continues to move forth, so that the work of the gospel, the work of the kingdom, the work of the church continues to move forth. Now, let me just make a note here. I'm going to build upon it to help advocate for discipleship a little bit more about some of the ways that this text has been abused. You heard me say earlier this this section about uh, Paul saying that there is a a secret and hidden wisdom of God, verse 7. Now, there have been some sects of Christianity, some kind of splinters of Christianity, that have used a text like this to say that there are are teachings of God that not everybody knows and not everybody has access to. But if if you actually want some of these deeper meanings and these deeper truths, you actually have to follow them. That was what the, the deeper life movement communicated. And there's even some elements of this in those who communicate a second blessing. And they create kind of a, a tier system in Christianity that's dangerous. But to commute anything like that, to communicate anything like that, that there are, there are parts of God that are accessible to only some followers of Jesus completely contradicts what Paul is, is attempting to, to write here. You see, the the professional speakers of this time, the sophists who are going around Corinth saying, if you pay me the right price, I'll give you wisdom. I'll I'll give you access to God. Yeah, I know you have your your Jesus, but you need Jesus plus. That's what they're saying. And if you pay me the right amount of money, I'll give you the, the plus that you need to get more access to God than Jesus provides. But Paul is saying the only person who can help you know more of God is the Spirit. And his work is available to everyone. Now listen, not, not everyone will receive it. But it's available to everyone. You have the Spirit of God living within you. You have the same access to God than I do. The question is, are you taking advantage of what God has allowed you to have in the Spirit? If you want more of God, pursue Him. Through His Word, through His people, through discipleship, and let let those who have, have received uh, more of the word in the sense that they've been, they've been discipled longer, they've been following the Lord longer, those who are more mature in their faith, allow them the opportunity to impart to you what has been imparted to them so that we all grow up into Christ. That's what we are called to do. Listen, our job, our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to take these spiritual truths that have been communicated to us by the Spirit and spiritual words and entrust them to other spiritual people. And we do that, and we do that, and we do that, calling some to new faith, strengthening the faith of others until the day that Jesus Christ returns. Friends, the Spirit is our great teacher. And he reveals to us the wisdom that we need, the wisdom that comes from God. And here's how he does that. He leads us to Jesus, and he gives us the mind of Christ. And for that, we should give thanks. Amen? Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Just ask the Lord how you can respond to the preached word this morning. Firstly, again, do you know Jesus? Have you ever responded to the message of the gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so whoever believes in him would be saved? Have you ever heard that and responded in repentance and belief? Seeing 
Christ crucified, not as foolishness, but as the power and wisdom of God. If you've never done that and you feel the Spirit leading you to a place of faith and repentance and belief, would you come and talk to us now? We would love to pray with you and encourage you. For the rest of us, would you give thanks to the work of God that brought you to that place? Salvation is of the Lord. He has willingly revealed himself to us when he did not have to. More than that, he has enabled us to receive what he has revealed through the work of the Spirit. What an incredible thing to comprehend, to consider the work of the Spirit among us. And Father, would you help us grow up into greater maturity as we think upon, pray upon, meditate upon your word? Would you allow these spiritually imparted truths to continue to mold us into the image of Jesus so that we as a people can bring you glory? That's our prayer. Help us, we pray, as we give thanks for the work of your spirit. And we pray these in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.